Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. seven billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassie Zachary. We are super excited to welcome back our guest, Roger Burton, today. On Tuesday, Cass and he discussed the style of youth subcultures from the 1940s, 50s, and 1960s. And Roger himself was a former mod, after all. And today he is a costume designer, stylist, and prolific vintage clothing collector whose collection today comprises over 20,000 pieces dating all the way back to the 1940s. Um, And his collection is the subject of his book, Rebel Threads, Clothing of the Bad, Beautiful, and Misunderstood. Yeah, and we stopped at the 1960s on Tuesday, but today we jump forward into the 1970s a decade that witnessed the emergence of the punk movement, and most importantly for our intents and purposes, punk style, both of which Vivian Westwood and her partner Malcolm McLaren made no small contribution. As Roger writes in Rebel Threads, quote, the first seeds of the British punk movement began to germinate in 1971 when Malcolm McLaren and his partner Vivian Westwood set up a small operation selling 1950s and 1960s rock and roll records objects, and ephemera from the back room of Paradise Garage, which was a trendy American denim shop at 430 Kings Road, World's End in Chelsea. Inspired by a 1950s rock and roll revival, within a few months, the couple had already taken over the shop completely, renaming it Let It Rock, and began selling not only Teddy Boy and Teddy Girl vintage and vintage-inspired clothing, but also various other types of rocker ephemera. But the couple was interested in more than just rock and roll and inspired by the imagery of underground sex culture, you know, bondage, fetishism, etc. Vivian designed and made these t-shirts that featured sexually explicit imagery. And in fact, April, one of her assistants was arrested wearing this shirt that depicted two half-naked cowboy types. And uh, the shop was subsequently raided. And Vivian and Malcolm were both fined for indecent exhibition. So this, of course, only fueled their distaste for censorship and regulation. And by 1974, they had renamed their shop Sex. The name displayed outside the shop in three huge pink letters. So there was no mistaking this shop. (laughs) And actually, I have a funny story about that particular T-shirt, the gay cowboy (laughs) T-shirt. Because when I first moved to New York 12 years ago, somebody was selling a vintage copy of it on the street. So (laughs) let's just say times have changed, it seems. And they're half naked (laughs) from the waist down, I should clarify. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I'm sure you can Google it. Yes, you can. It'll come up readily. Um, But the duo, Malcolm McLaren and Westwood, continued to cultivate their radical, provocative clothing designs throughout the 1970s. And the shop design and name changed with 
each new phase of their career. In 1981, Vivian Westwood presented her first fashion runway collection, the pirate-themed World's End, and the shop was changed to the same name. And Vivian and Malcolm split up some time after, but World's End remains open to this day, Cass, mm-hmm. and continues to sell their classic designs and accessories. And I'm sure you guys are all wondering what exactly does all this have to do with our guest today? Well, not only did Roger visit the various reincarnations of the duo's boutiques, he is the designer behind World's End, and he is here today to tell us all about it. Welcome, Roger. Welcome back. Hi, thank you. Nice to be back. In your collection, you have an incredible amount of rare garments from this seminal partnership of Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren, whose contributions to the punk movement and the punk style of dress can really not be overstated enough. So can you tell us a little bit more about the punk style of dress and why these two in particular are important to it? Well, um, as I said in, 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 the, in, the, in the last talk, I was very much into kind of being a purist. Um, I think I became a little bit obsessed with uh, uh, dressing like a sort of period person. And then all of a sudden, it, well, I say all of a sudden, over a period of a few years, uh, these crazy characters, Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren, who'd also gone through this kind of purist uh, look through their shops, through Let It Rock and Sex and uh, Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, they started to then mix up cultures or mix up styles and make them a little more edgy and really start to break down uh, this whole kind of purist idea of of what an outfit should look like. I think it started with sex, actually, their shop sex, which was also on the King's Road. And they started to introduce um, bondage clothing uh, for the office and uh, rubber clothing and leather clothing. Their idea was that, it, that it, you know, people would wear it to the office. Well, of course, they never did. Well, probably <laughs> some people probably did, actually. But they, it was all about restriction and not being able to move, but, but using this as a, as a fashion. Of course, you know, fashion-hungry kids around the London scene you know, who who didn't want to have long hair and wear flares and, you know, be into prog rock and stuff. They they wanted, a you know, this new look. They wanted to be a part of this new look. And, um, you know, they, they, they started to introduce uh, the Sex Pistols and this new kind of uh, punk rock music, uh, which was unlike anything that had gone before. I mean, it, it was vaguely like rock and roll, but it was just so you know, amateur and, and crazy and noisy that people really liked it because they were, they were, they were so used to all these, you know, these, these prog rock albums that had been taken years to make and they were so kind of laid back and so on. And so, you know, like mass operas. So the idea of this, you know, two or three minute single that was just like done by a bunch of, kids who didn't know how to play anything was really appealing and to be able to dress in this new style and listen to this look and really kind of go crazy basically with your with your hair and makeup and really offend people yeah i mean you have the 1960s and the hippie counterculture which just outraged and shocked people i can't even imagine what people were thinking about the punks in the 1970s <laughs> kind of took it to this whole other place oh it to- totally it totally upset 
everybody. I mean, it was it was the great thing about Malcolm McLaren was that he was able to use that as a as a tool to promote not only the shop but the music as well. And he was he was very clever at that. And it, of course, the more outrageous the headlines, the better, because more it meant more people would come and buy the clothes and more people would buy the records. And not only do you have an important collection of Malcolm and Vivian's clothing from this period, you actually yourself were commissioned by the duo to design their store World's End, which is incredibly exciting for me to discover. And can you tell us how you came to meet them um, and how this commission came about? Maybe a little bit about what your inspiration was behind designing the store the way you did? Yeah, sure. Um, As I said, I had my shop in Leicester, which was a sort of... um, an eclectic mix of, of of clothing and antiques and so on and so forth. But it, I was always styling it. I was always trying to make it look interesting. And um, in the mid-70s, like 77, 78, I got together with a couple of partners and we took on a shop in London and we decided to call it PX after like an American sort of surplus store. And... Um, we were a little bit too old to be punks, but we were still very into that punk energy and that punk style. But we wanted to make it a little more chic. And so we, I designed this shop and um, I did it very kind of low tech. Uh, it, I wanted it to look like you're in the, in, the, in the bowels of a ship, in like an engine room or something. And, every, and all the clothes were behind cages and... Um, Anyway, it, basically, this shop, this PX shop, became uh, really notorious. It, it became, um, uh, you know, the, one of the, one of the fashion stops on on the circuit, along with seditionaries that Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood had created. And it got they both these shops got a lot of press, and all of a sudden. I suppose, well, I mean, I suppose the shop, the shop had been going for about a year. You know, I'd done the design. I walked away from the shop. I was, I was still buying and selling. But a friend of mine was having a drink with um, uh, Vivian Westwood on the King's Road. And um, he called me up and, and said, look, I've just been having a drink with Vivian. And they're going to close the seditionary shop down, the punk shop. And they want to open a new shop. And she really liked what I'd done with the PX shop. And would I be interested in meeting with her and talking and coming up with an idea for their new shop, which was going to be World's End? So, of course, I jumped at the idea. You know, it was, I mean, they were my heroes, you know. <laughs> so I, off I went to meet them, you know, a couple of days later. And um, we just spent the day brainstorming really she she was she was uh, you know showing me the style uh, of uh, style of clothes that, that she was going to put in it which was very very much based on um, pirates and uh, and you know the romantic notion of clothes 18th century clothes uh, but with a rebellious edge and Malcolm was very much into into the this new technology, the the Sony Walkman, you know, and and um, and how that would play a part in it, and uh, how they would introduce this kind of elaborate makeup and so on. So it really kind of got me thinking about the 18th century and and how I could make this funny little shop on the King's Road, how I could transform it from a punk shop into this World's End shop, and we somehow 
that area actually in Chelsea is known as World's End. But it was very, very, it wasn't used very often. And so they wanted to celebrate this idea that there was a shop called World's End in World's End. And it really was about the end of the world. And um, we found these old etchings, um, 18th century etchings, with old kind of clocks and things in. And um, then we started talking about Alice in Wonderland and, you know, the, the, the notion of time going backwards and so on. And so we came up with this idea of this, this huge, great big clock going backwards. And then I, I remembered this old English pub that I'd gone to back in the 70s when I was when I was traveling around the country buying clothes and uh, it was this pub was called the Crooked House and the reason it was called the Crooked House because everything was all wrong in it the floors were sloping one way the walls were sloping another and the doors were going another way and it, it didn't seem possible that this place was actually still standing but what had happened was it wasn't hadn't been created like that what had happened was there'd been coal mining had gone on underneath the uh, uh, the pub and the whole thing had subsided but it had gone in different ways and i remembered this from it, it was actually one of my favorite pubs and i just thought, i'm going to introduce a little bit of that into this shop and so uh, i introduced a sloping floor and um and 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 crooked walls and uh and so basically it was like um i wanted to give the impression that you you were in on on board a ship or something and it was it was slightly un unbalanced and you you felt a little bit kind of you know seasick when you went in this in this building and behind this great big clock that was ticking away and going backwards at a rapid speed with 13 numerals on it and um yeah they went for the idea and so (laughs) (laughs) and the amazing thing is that i mean i i i mean i have i had no training in anything uh uh, uh, you know at that point i mean it was all very diy you know i'd grown up on a farm and so on and i'd learned you know how to, to put a fence up and you know maybe build a wall or whatever but it was it was all new to me and but i was uh, but i i don't know it just took a lot of energy and, and enthusiasm and i just thought you know what i'm just going to do it and i did it my way and uh, it was only ever meant to last for three or four years as their other shops had done uh, as malcolm put it you know it was they they were they were more like sort of theatrical sets and um that went alongside to complement the clothing so it was it was only built temporarily basically well <laughs> unbelievably it's still standing today so it, it kind of you know it was pretty it was pretty well made i think <laughs> Yeah, and in 1984, uh, Westwood and McLaren separated and World's End was closed. Um, But in 1993, you actually did an exhibition celebrating their work and this period. And am I correct that it was at this exhibition that uh, the two came together for the first time in many years? Well, that's right. Yeah. Now, uh, just just, just to rewind slightly, you know, the the World's End shop never closed. Oh. um, Vivian um, separated with uh, 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 with Malcolm, uh, but she kept the business going. It almost went bankrupt, but then an Italian uh, company came in and um, and uh, shored up the business, and so she was able to keep going. But the shop, 
the shop is still there. It's still going. It's oh, it's fantastic. like last time, you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So fast forward back to 1993. I I'd, I'd moved to this weird old building um, called the Horse Hospital uh, in Bloomsbury, and it really was old, an old horse hospital. And previous to this. I had a, a, a shop in Covent Garden with show windows, so people that knew we were there, you know, they could, uh, you know, they could relate to the fact that we, what we did, we hired clothes for film and TV and so on. Um, but being, you know, tucked in a little back street in Bloomsbury, in this old industrial uh, horse hospital, it was like, well, how on earth am I going to get people to come to find out we're here because we don't have any windows? or at least not show wind, uh, shop windows. So I got my thinking cap on and thought, okay, well, I've got, I've got a pretty good collection of Westwood and McLaren clothing. And it was, it was starting to become um, popularized again. It was it started, it started to become copied basically by, by quite a few designers and, um, and non-designers and it was bootlegged and so on. It had always had a value somehow. I mean, the Japanese at that time were buying it up in, you know, collecting it. And it was, so all of their clothes that they designed between 71 and 1971 and, and 1979 was becoming very collectible. And I thought, okay, what better way to kind of celebrate this than have an exhibition. And so I gathered all everything of mine together and, um, and then I, I, I called up Vivian and said, Vivian, you know, I'm going to have this exhibition. Are you interested in being involved in it? And would you, would, you know, have you, do you have anything you can put into it? And so we, uh, we went into this long conversation. She said, no, I'm not really interested in being involved with it. Um, but however, you can have what I've got. And I've only got a few things. But she said, you know, that was then. And, and although I endorse what you're doing, she said, it, you know, I really don't want to be involved with it. You know, that was the past. And um, so, OK, so I approached Malcolm, who was at that time in, living in Paris and, and recording um, music um, with you know, various Parisian superstars. And um, he mostly he said the same thing, although he didn't have anything of his own personal clothing that he, he could lend. He, he said he'd gotten rid of it all. You know, when they'd split up, that was it. That was the end of it. But he really didn't want to be involved with it either. So I was in a situation where, okay, well, I've got to, you know, we've, we've said we're going to do this show now, so I've got to do it somehow. So started to ring around friends who I knew had collections and bit by bit, you know, stuff was coming in. They all agreed that it was a great idea. And before I knew it, I'd got pretty much an example of everything that they'd ever done in, in that punk period. And so I thought, you know what, I've got to get, they've got to come and see this because although, you know, they were both kind of famous, they weren't really famous. And, um, well, particularly Vivian, who, you know, she was, she was still plodding along doing her clothing, but she wasn't as famous as she is now. And so I called her up and said, Vivian, look, you know, you've got to come and have a look at this, you know, because it's, we've got some great examples of, of your work here and, it, and just seeing it all together is quite extraordinary. And she's no, oh, no, no. I'm not, you know. No, I've got, I've got a, you know. She got, she got a, a show to finish, and you know, she was doing a catwalk show and so on. So I called up Malcolm, and you know, and he was virtually saying the same thing. And 
But I kept on at them. I kept sending them e- uh, not emails. I kept sending them faxes and uh, messages. And um, and eventually Malcolm uh, got back to me and said, look, actually, I've got to be in London uh, the day before the show opens. So he said, I'll, I'll, I'll come by. I'll come and have a look, but I'm not coming to the opening. So great. Okay. If I've got him, I'm going to get her. Right. So I'm, <laughs> I'm the case. Vivian, you've got to come, you know, there's no ifs, buts or whatever. You've got to come. And she, the first thing she said to me is, is Malcolm coming? I said, no, he's not coming. Definitely not. <laughs> Flying me through my teeth, and I thought, you know, I, I've just got to get her here. It's not, anyway, so anyway, she agreed that she would come uh, at some point during the evening, uh, the night before the opening. And while we were going to be working all night, putting this, still putting the show up, there was loads and loads to do. So anyway, around I don't know seven o'clock in the evening, the bell rings and it's Malcolm, and Malcolm comes in and immediately goes over to something. Uh, a t-shirt and starts talking about oh my god you've got one of these and i said wait ma- ma- stop can we just record you you know film you just talking about this and he said yeah yeah of course why not so um we just happened to have a video camera handy for documentation purposes and and so we recorded him talking anyway after about five or ten minutes the buzzer on the on the door went and who who should it be but vivian <laughs> and she stood in the doorway and uh, smoking a cigarette. And we both, Malcolm and I turned around and said, oh, hello, Vivian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she didn't say anything. I thought, oh, God, you know, what have I done? And then I, I said, I've got to break the you know, I've got, I thought, I've got to break the ice. Would you like a cup of tea, Vivian? And she said, no, but I'll have a double brandy. So, <laughs> so. We happened to have a pub across the road, so I sent sent out for a, a glass of brandy, and which came back, and she still stood in the doorway, and she was chain smoking cigarettes and drinking double brandy. I thought, oh god, this is a complete disaster. But I had to carry on with Malcolm because he was being so interesting talking about the clothes. But then again, he was talking it from talking about it from his point of view and, you know, how he designed these clothes and how he'd done this. And he, he was very much, you know, you know, he had, he had a pretty big ego. And um, anyway, eventually he, he got onto uh, a T-shirt, a very early T-shirt that they created together, uh, which went into um, Let It Rock. And it, um, it had rips and zips and things on it and uh, uh, pictures of pinup girls stuck on it and it also had like black like tire tracks uh, over it and he was explaining how this came about how his his son Joe who was I don't know five or six at the time had got like a toy tractor and an old printing set and he'd been running his tractor tires over the printing set and he rolled them over the T-shirt. So it looked like it was sort of, you know, uh, looked like proper tire tracks. And um, at that point in the conversation, Vivian joined in. And so then it became, well, it became like a, a, a play almost, it, uh, how this thing unfolded. Because she she was saying, no, Malcolm, actually, it was like this and so on and so forth. And, and it, it Anyway, this whole thing unfolded, the whole story of how they started this amazing 
thing that they did on 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 the king's road and how how they started punk and so on and so forth and we have the entire thing on tape um uh, it was oh. an hour and 10 minutes i think it is long and it was just it's one of the most uh, astonishing pieces of uh, footage um because it it's it, it's at, to the best of my knowledge it's the only bit of footage of them talking together after the event and uh yeah we still show it here now and again to trusted parties yeah and dazed actually did an article on it a few years ago you can find it online where they um they have some excerpts from it yeah um and some quotes from it i mean what a once in a lifetime experience that you made possible through your love of collecting and your appreciation um, for all of these these movements and these exciting times that you not only got to witness but be a part of, so it's really incredible. Yeah, it was it was it was an astonishing time, and I'm incredibly lucky to have lived through it. And um, yeah, I just I I don't know I st- I still have a great passion for the clothes and um, and 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 want to try and instill that into people today. You know, I, I talk regularly talk to students from uh, London College of Fashion and Central St. Martins who come along and, um, you know, I give them a talk and, and try and instill a bit of that enthusiasm and passion and energy, hoping that, you know, some of them at some point will start uh, a new movement, whether it'll ever happen or not, I don't know. Absolutely. Well, your collection's an inspiration to many. Before you go today, Roderick, is there anything else you are working on for the future that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Well, it's interesting in that um, I, I was approached uh, a little bit earlier on, on this year by a, a couple of young guys who were actually sons of mods in my hometown of Leicester. And um, they'd been researching the period, the 60s period, and, and everything that happened there, and uh, got very intrigued by it and decided that they wanted to do uh, some kind of an exhibition to celebrate it and so they they found me and um said could i have a meeting with them and would i be interested in um supplying the clothes for it and telling any stories that i had and um they were going to produ- they're going to produce a book and um and do a whole a whole big exhibition about it which will run for three months in my hometown of leicester in leicester museum which is quite a big thing and um yeah i've written a chapter for the book which uh, is yet to be published but it will come out um next year in in time for the exhibition and yeah so it's like me going home basically and uh, and you know and and living it all over again <laughs> well thank you so much roger for sharing your passion and your stories with us today on dressed my pleasure it's been it's been a very lovely talking to you roger thank you again for being with us today Yeah, such a cool insider perspective on two pioneering fashion designers or anti-fashion designers, I guess I should say. (laughs) Yeah, and and while this episode provided one fascinating perspective of the punk movement, there is so much more to tell. And we do promise to do an entire episode on the history of punk style in the future, so stay tuned. Um, But until next time, may you consider introducing a little bit of rebellion into your wardrobe next time you get dressed. For images accompanying each week's episode, please follow us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast. This is also our Twitter handle, and you can follow us on Facebook at dressed podcast without the underscore. 
And we love hearing from you. So if you'd like to email us, please do so at dressed at howstuffworks.com. For additional readings for each week's episode, check out our show notes at dressedpodcast.com. And don't forget about our merch store. As always, it's at tpublic.com forward slash dressed. That's T-E-E-Public.com forward slash dressed. And as always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram and Holly Fry, and everyone else at How Stuff Works who makes the show possible each and every week. Catch you soon. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.